0: hey everybody welcome back this is the virginia law for law enforcement officers podcast and it's episode 14. we're talking about electronic evidence Uh, this is a podcast for law enforcement officers virginia law enforcement officers sheriffs police if you're doing uh, criminal investigations in virginia we're trying to give you legal information stuff that you need to do your job and to do it right and that's what this is for is for those of you out there who want to do it right and there's so many of you over the years I've met, I'm so proud to have a chance chance to work with you guys, uh, learn alongside you guys and help you out when you need it Uh, to give you the tools that you need to do it right. Cause I know you do want to do it right and do it better, serve your communities, strengthen your communities, uh, serve your communities in ways um, that, you know, obviously this is tough. Some of the the concepts that we're talking about here are really complicated Uh, and I'll be honest with you. 95% of lawyers don't know this stuff, don't understand this stuff, haven't studied this stuff, Um, but we expect you to know it. We expect you to be able to understand it. Just like we expect you to understand forensic science, we expect you to understand, you know, drugs and uh, chemical science. We expect you to understand DNA and biological science. We expect you to understand, you know, mental health and psychological science. We expect you also to be expert martial artists and expert gunfighters and expert drivers and um, you know, expert mental health counselors and all these different types of things. Oh, and oh, by the way, also be better at this than most of the lawyers and most of the judges out there. Well, you know, that's why you get paid the big bucks, I guess, right? Uh, so, what we've been talking about the last episode was electronic evidence, and that's what I want to deep dive into today. So, last episode, we talked about fundamental concepts that you need to know in order to understand the law of electronic evidence and electronic evidence investigations. How do you interrogate devices when you've uh, got a search warrant for a device? How do you get electronic records from providers and so on? We set up some fundamental distinctions uh, in the law between content from devices, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> evidence from devices, evidence from third-party providers, privacy, third-party doctrine, content, non-content. Today, we're gonna be talking about getting con- data from providers. We're talking about getting data in motion, uh, which is one of the concepts we introduced last time, from Google, Facebook, Verizon, um, you know, uh, TikTok, whatever. What are the providers? How do we get that information lawfully using legal process? That's what my goal is gonna be for today, is to kind of walk you through the fundamentals of that. And as we mentioned last time, this is all statutory law because the Constitution, for the most part, hasn't been seen to protect this information uh, because it's held by third party providers and sold all the time. Uh, But there are statutory provisions in place, put in place by Congress and by Virginia uh, to regulate how law enforcement obtains this information. And specifically law enforcement as opposed to the private industry, which again buys and sells this information all the time. So we're talking about a certain kind of information not financial service information which is regulated by another set of data, uh, statutes but electronic communication providers now this was a definition that came that they came up with in the 1980s when it was a lot easier to understand what an electronic communication provider is but the definition to this day still applies in federal law and state law that an electronic communications provider is basically <clears throat> some kind of service that provides its users the ability to send or receive wire or electronic communications. And a provider can be an electronic communica- communications provider, an ECS as we say, even if providing such services is not its primary business. In other words, it's providing electronic, the ability for its users to send or receive wire or electronic communications, but its primary business is something else. So again, when this was written, <clears throat> this was only written, you know, maybe 70 or 80 years after uh, the idea of electronic communications had really taken off, right? So Marconi had invented the the, the radio, and then Alexander Graham Bell had invented the telephone, and the, all these new forms of communication had come into play. In the 1980s, we had computers, and now, of course, we've exploded with all these new ways. All these, this this law here covers any way any service that provides its ability to its users to send or receive wire or electronic communications. An electronic communication, by the way, is a transfer of signals, signs, writings, images, sounds, data, or intelligence that's transmitted by wire, radio, electronic communication system. So certainly, right, a phone company is an ECS. They're governed by this set of code sections. And certainly a, um, you know, Google or Facebook, they send, they give their users the ability to send or receive wire electronic communications. But think about all the different businesses nowadays that give their users the ability to send or receive wireless communications. And one example I like to talk about is, you know, when I was growing up, when I was a kid, there used to be this guy who would come to our house. He was wearing a uniform. He had a clipboard. He'd walk house to house and he'd just walk onto our property, sort of whenever he felt like it, and he'd walk over to this little box on the side of our house and he would read the electric meter off the side of our house. And then he'd write some notes down and he'd take off and then we get an electric bill and that would be what we'd had to pay right he was the meter reader and his job was to figure out how much electricity we used and then all of a sudden the meter reader just didn't come by anymore why doesn't he come by well because the little box inside of our house now communicates with the with the power company electronically it sends or receives wire or electronic communications And is that information potentially useful to you or interesting to you, right? If you're trying to figure out if somebody lives at a house and how many people live in a house or what kind of power consumption is going on at that house, do they have a grow operation inside that house, for example, Um, you know, that kind of information can be useful, right? The power company gives its users, me, a power consumer, the ability to send or receive wire or electronic communications. I um, got a package delivered in the middle of a, one of the podcasts I did before. Somebody came to the door, knocked on the door, kind of ruined the recording. Uh, but you know, I knew I didn't have to answer the door. I knew the package had arrived because I got a little email pop up on my screen. How did I do that? Because FedEx and UPS give us the ability to send or receive wireless communications. We can communicate with the driver essentially, see where the driver is, uh, see the driver is close by, send a message saying, leave the package by the side of my house or near your house, whatever. Um, So I'm communicating, and of course the drivers themselves communicate back and forth with the company using wire electronic communications. So all these different services potentially are regulated by this set of code sections that were put together in the mid-80s when all that stuff was just sort of fantasy or sci-fi or whatever. But again, these are uh, services and information and data that is protected not by the Constitution but by the statute. Because it is constantly being bought and sold by these private companies amongst one another. Uh, And if you were, you know, theoretically, if you had a bunch of money, you can go on the market, too, and buy the information, too, if you wanted to. Uh, It's very useful, very valuable data. But when government wants to get it, government has to follow these statutory provisions. And as old as the statutes are, and again, it goes back to the 1980s, they do have kind of a basic structure that's kind of simple and, and relatively easy to understand. The amount of legal process that you have to come up with, the level or intensity of legal process, the legal standard for getting legal process, increases as you go from information from the past to information of the present to information of the future. And the amount of legal process, the legal standard, the exactness of the, the, the affidavit or the, you know, how difficult it's going to be to get the legal process, increases as you go from basic subscriber information. Who is a subscriber? What's their address? How do they pay for it? To location data, which is more heavily protected by the statute, and in fact, covered by the Constitution now, to the actual content of what they say, the actual contents of their thoughts and communications and so on. That's very highly protected. So past subscriber information, who was the person who used this IP address or used this phone number last week or last year that's not very highly protected. You still have to get legal process. You still have to go to a judge. You still have to get a court order. You still have to give an affidavit, all that kind of information. But the legal standard for it is not as high as, say, I want to listen to this person's communications and know what they say live for the next 60 days. That's an incredibly difficult piece of legal process to get. That's a wiretap, right? And you can do a wiretap on a phone. You can also do a wiretap, by the way, on other kinds of communication, electronic communications. You used to be able to do it. In fact, you could do a wiretap on Facebook. Um, you could do a Facebook wire. When WhatsApp went to end to end encryption, that became much more difficult, technically speaking. But legally speaking, you can get a wiretap, right, under certain circumstances. But the standard for it is very high. I mean, what you have to prove to a court is very high. So let's say I've got a case and I need to get electronic evidence from a third-party provider. What's the first thing that I should do? What's the very first step I need to take in my investigation? Right? You might think to yourself, okay, well, i got to figure out who the provider is, and i got to figure out what the amount of information is that I need, so what kind of legal process? Do I need to go to a judge? Do I need to go to a magistrate? Do I need to get a prosecutor? Do I need an affidavit? Do I need to sit down and write the affidavit? No, 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 no. Stop. Stop, 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 stop. When you figure out i have a piece of information that i need to get from a third-party provider tiktok twitter facebook google actually i'm not going to say tiktok because that's a chinese company it's a little different um but for now google facebook i need information from them what's the very first thing you do the first thing you gotta do before you do anything else is stop and 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 get a letter get an email log into that company's law enforcement portal and ask them to preserve the data, because you see, if you get a search warrant, if you get a court order, if you get any kind of legal process, and you take it and you serve it on that company, right? I mean, you think about Google. Google probably gets how many search warrants? Do you think they get a day, right? Five, ten, thousand, right? From law enforcement. I mean, they get tons. When they get your search warrant, they're not like sitting around in the room, you know, twiddling their thumbs and playing solitaire uh, until a warrant shows up, right? They've got. You know, tens or hundreds or maybe thousands of warrants they got to answer. Yours just goes in the queue, and they might have some situations for emergencies. But if you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't have an emergency going on right now. Um, Or if you do, maybe tend to the emergency. I'm. This is a recorded podcast available anytime. Um, So, what what whether you you know when they finally get to that search warrant, it might be 15 days, 20 days, 30 days, 60 days down the road when they finally answer your search warrant. Well, at that point. What if the data is not there anymore? I mean, they may not keep the data. The suspect might delete the data. You can go on and wipe out your Facebook page. You can go on and wipe out Google data. You can go on and wipe out this data. And once you've wiped out the data, it's gone. And when the provider finally serves the search warrant, finally goes and pulls the information, if it's gone, it's not going to help you. That's where federal law steps in. And federal law provides that you, if you send a request, an official request, you know, on like letterhead, Uh, or use a law enforcement portal. You can email it. Each company has their own way that they like to get these letters. And you should go on their law enforcement. All these companies have law enforcement portals. You should definitely, they have law enforcement guides. You should definitely read them. Um, Some of them are very detailed and they all give you explicit instructions for all this stuff. And the preservation letter is provided for in federal law. Whatever kind of legal process you're planning to get, the first thing you wanna do is get that preservation letter out to that company. Hold this data for me. I mean, if you wanna get a text message, Uh, you know, most of the cell phone companies don't hold on text messages at all, but if they do, they're only going to hold them for a day or two in memory before they wipe them out. So you got to get that text message, preserve whatever you have, please hold it now, right? If I want AT&T to hold on to, um, you know, Nilos data or Verizon to, you know, I can't read the off the top of my head what their version of nilos is but whatever so uh you know if you want them to hold that data it's only going to stick around for a very short period of time send a preservation letter then they get the preservation letter they have to freeze that information they have to hold it they don't got to turn it over to you you still have to get them legal process but at least with that preservation letter in hand now the status quo is preserved right this is like an emergency you know like if you're doing an and circumstance warrant enter and preserve just nobody move we're gonna hold the situation, and let's go get let's go get a search warrant. And it might take a while to get a search warrant, but you have nine up to ninety days to hold this information if you ask for up to ninety days. And in fact, if the investigation takes longer, <clears throat> if you have to take it to a grand jury and get like more data and so on, you can send a follow up preservation letter and said, hey, look, we're still trying to get probable cause. We're still trying to get our information together into a format and into an affidavit that we're willing to put in front of a judge that you know may have to be made public under a certain amount of time. Um, and so on. So you might be concerned about you know, the affidavit becoming public or whatever. So you can ask them to preserve it for an additional 90 days if needed. And the letter's not complicated. You can find examples of preservation letters online all over the place. Um, and again, some companies just prefer you do it over the law enforcement portal. So let's say I've preserved this data. Um, what are the things I need to do next? And to do, what you need to do next is figure out what kind of data it is that you're trying to get. Before we talk about that, though, I do, again, uh, want to talk about cop line. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I have worked in law enforcement for almost 20 years, and I've lost friends to suicide. Um, and if we lose anybody to suicide, it's too many. Um, but, it, you know, last year, we lost uh, over 200, 228 police officers to suicide. And that was up from 178 in 2018. Um, losing any of you uh, is too many um, losing 238 228 um, there's something wrong and we, we need to think about for each other are we watching each other's backs uh, are we watching out for the signs are we listening do we know what to listen for um, but if you're somebody who doesn't feel like they can talk to anyone that there's no one else left to talk to that there is no point in going on Um, give Copline a call, Uh, you know, they are there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're manned entirely by retired law enforcement officers, trained. Any call is strictly confidential. The number is 1-800-COPLINE, that's 1-800-267-5463. It's 1-800-267-5463 or copline.org. You know, and uh, get trained, learn how to, learn what the signs are, learn how to listen to your buddies. Uh, when they talk to you um, and learn how for yourself that, you know, maybe you're suffering, you know, I'm not, maybe you're not thinking about contemplating into your life, but the trauma is getting to you and you don't know why the signs of, you know, when I looked on the signs of trauma and the signs of stress, um, I started to realize, you know, there's some of these things, you know, the stress does get to you and it does change you and you don't realize it when it's happening, maybe because your buddies are going through it too. Um, But let's, let's get better at watching out for each other. Okay, so I got my preservation letter out and now I got to figure out what kind of legal process I need. So what kind of legal process do I need for my electronic evidence? Well, it's going to depend on what kind of data I want. And I like to break this, le- this data down into three levels. There's three levels of data that we were looking for generally. Level one data is just basic subscriber information. Level two data is location data. And then level three is content. So Level 1 data is basic scriberation. Who is this, right? I have a phone number. Whose phone number is this? I have an email address. I have a web address. I have an IP address. Who who's it, who does this come back to? Who, belong, who does this belong to? And for that basic information, you essentially just need a court order signed by a judge supported by reasonable grounds. There's reasonable grounds to believe that it's uh, relevant to a legitimate law enforcement inquiry. And you, you know, generally speaking, have to do an affidavit for it, explain the facts, explain what your basis is. Um, but that's not a very high standard because you're not getting a lot of information. You're just trying to figure out, you know, whose phone number is this, whose email address, whose text message, or whose Facebook Messenger uh, identity is this. Level two data is a specially carved out type of data that the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled is protected by the Fourth Amendment. Despite everything else I've told you about the third party doctrine, and that is cell site location data. Um, so you might remember there was this case called Jones, and Jones talked about people's physical movements and putting a GPS on a car. Putting a GPS on a car, um, if you're going to track that car for you know several days in Virginia, you need to get a search warrant because the code says you need to get a search warrant. And the U.S. Supreme Court says you need a search warrant because they don't like the fact that a GPS can track somebody all the time. They recognize you could follow somebody all the time if you wanted to, but they think that the fact that it would be hard for law enforcement to do it um, and expensive and time consuming for law enforcement to do it is enough of a limit. But if all it takes is putting a little piece of electronics, a little chip on a car, to track it everywhere they don't like how cheap and easy that is that's so therefore do they want to put their own limitation on it they did the same thing with cell site location data right um, you in, in what they said with cell site location data is essentially they were too concerned it was too easy to figure out everyone's movements um, where everybody went for a period of time with that cell phone um, and so they said if you want to get in carpenter it was more than seven days worth of data about somebody's movements through their cell site location data, you need to have a search warrant supported by probable cause. Carpenter didn't tell us whether or not we need to get a search warrant for less than seven days, but they also didn't tell us that we did not need a search warrant for information less than seven days. They just sort of said, we're not going to answer that question right now. If it were me, I'd get a search warrant for anything less than seven days because, I mean, if you need cell site location data, just get a search warrant. Um, Then you know you're safe. But the uh, Carpenter reasoning is the same as the Jones reasoning with the GPS, which is the court is concerned. You're just being able to track where everybody can move all the time. And um, it's interesting. The court says it's unreasonable to expect people to leave their cell phones at home just not to get tracked or turn their cell phones off not to get tracked, um, which is an interesting perspective to have for you know the U.S. Supreme Court. Level three data, the most Protected data. That's almost always going to require a search warrant is content. What is somebody actually saying in this communication? What are they writing in their text message? What are they putting on their Facebook wall? What are they writing in their Facebook message? If you want those actual records of those actual content, those actual thoughts, what the person's actually writing, then you always need a search warrant. Now recognize if I want level two data, I want search warrant. If I want level one data, I could also get a search warrant for that too. I mean, there's nothing to stop me from using a higher level of legal process. There's nothing to stop me from using probable cause as the legal standard to get any of these lower um, uh, types of data if I want to. You can almost always use a search warrant for all these tools. So the search warrant's a nice Swiss army knife for all of these things, um, but the court order is available if you want to get it. So... The level one data, the basic data, where does that rule come from that says that I can just do it through a court order? Well, it comes from federal law, 18 U.S.C. 2703, uh, subsection C, and that, again, was enacted in the mid-'80s. And then by Virginia Code, 19.270.3, which was enacted about 12 months later and has almost exactly the same words in it. So Virginia saw that federal, the federal government was enacting this code section, and Virginia uh, enacted their own version of it. But what I want you to know is that the federal code section was written so that state judges and state law enforcement officers could take advantage of it. In other words, you can apply for a warrant in a state court in front of a state judge or a state magistrate and cite these federal code sections. In fact, I recommend that you do because it's the federal code section that gives you jurisdiction over a lot of these companies which aren't even located in Virginia right Facebook isn't located in Virginia Google isn't located in Virginia Facebook doesn't have any locations in Virginia uh, Google I think does business through third-party businesses in Virginia but you know how do you get jurisdiction over them well fundamentally because federal the federal code says uh, that these companies have to comply with this with this lawful process that's issued comes from not the Constitution, but these code sections. So the 2703 standard is reasonable grounds. Uh, If I want a quarter for basic level one information, I gotta show reasonable grounds to believe the records or other information sought are relevant and material to an ongoing criminal investigation. And 19.2, 70.3 is there's a reason to believe the records are relevant to an ongoing criminal investigation or we added a missing persons investigation because it used to be you couldn't get one of these orders if you were just looking for somebody who is missing. And a lot of times you wanted to get someone's uh, location data, for example, or, you know, if their phone is even being used, if they're making phone calls or texting somebody um, because you can't find them. Only a circuit court judge can issue one of these circuit court orders. That was not always clear under Virginia law, but it was always clear under federal law that only a circuit court judge could issue these orders. You can get them through a special grand jury and you can get them through a multi-jurisdictional grand jury because those grand juries are issuing orders through the circuit court. There are reasons not to do it. Um, one of the main reasons is that a grand jury subpoena doesn't necessarily apply to a foreign corporation, so you may still, and again, most of these companies are foreign corporations, so you may still want to just go to your circuit or judge directly, and that's what I would always do with a, with one of these court orders. You might be listening to this and think, well, hang on a second. I worked with this ICAC, and they used to get admins, administrative subpoenas. Um, Virginia does have a form of administrative subpoenas. These are very basic court orders for child pornography investigations, abduction investigations, prostitution investigations. Um, The federal government has them also for these kinds of cases. They also have them under the Patriot Act for certain terrorism investigations. A couple things to say about that. Number one, so an administrative subpoena doesn't go through a judge. It's just issued by a law enforcement agency. Again, you're only getting basic information. You're not getting content. You're not getting anything Uh, you know like the contents of a message or the contents of somebody's facebook page um, or their text of their communication you're just getting who the subscriber is um, who the ip address come back to that kind of stuff or what ip address was being used by this particular device you're getting very basic information and again you still have to follow it up with lawful process uh, when it's over so uh, you know in general um, unless it was an emergency situation Uh, then typically and we're talking about emergencies in a second I would just get a court order Uh, one of the odd forms of legal process that was developed when we had telephones was what's called the pen register and the trap and trace and I want to talk about pen register trap and traces um, in a uh, in a future uh, podcast I'm going to talk about that in the next episode um so we're going to put that to the side for the minute but when we talk about you know finding some figuring out you know sort of a you know live tracking and that kind of stuff that's where that kind of information comes in for my level two location data then i'm going to also need to get a search warrant so if i want somebody's historical location data um, or indeed their real-time location data then i'm going to need to get a search warrant uh, unless i have their consent or unless i have exigent circumstances. I have some kind of emergency. And again, we're gonna talk about emergency coming up. But it was Carpenter versus the United States, the the Supreme Court who stepped in and said, we need a search warrant for historical location data. It was the General Assembly uh, in Virginia who stepped in and said real-time location data also needs to have a search warrant. And when you talk about real-time location data, search warrants, the, You know, you're here in the General Assembly because they created the special code section. The managers had to actually create a special form uh, to uh, allow you to get that information uh, live and for the providers to provide. So the last thing I'm going to talk about today, though, is emergencies, right? Because, of course, you know, even with Carpenter and even with the requirement we have a search warrant, you know, the search warrant requirement still has an emergency exception. What happens if there's not enough time to get a, a warrant? Uh, and so, for example, you have an abduction. You have somebody who's in a car, and um, they've been abducted, and that might be in the back seat or the trunk or whatever. But you can, you got their phone. You want to be able to figure out where they are, or you have somebody who um, has shot at shot at their wife or their child, and they run into the woods. And so you show up, and you're like, well, I, you know, obviously can't stay here forever. And this person still wants to kill their wife or their child, um, and so you want to be able to figure out where this person is, so they're not continually an active threat. So in those situations, you might have done this already before, you can contact, and again, this is something that you do more often with phones than you do with internet providers, um, but there are emergency emergency abilities with Facebook and Google and so on as well. Um, you can call the provider up and say, hey, this is an emergency. I need you to help me right now and tell me right now uh help me find this phone help me find this particular user id where is it logged in this particular phone what tower is it picking off of what the nilos data say the person's location is and so on and it lets in and in that situation the provider can help you out real time and say okay the phone of this person who's been abducted is right now traveling 95 north and this is where they are near exit 131 or the phone of this person um, who just shot at the his wife or his child and is hiding in the woods uh, right now is in this particular location according to our information virginia law hasn't said you can't do that although the general assembly has in the past expressed some skepticism they don't like the fact that law enforcement does this but what it does say is that if you do it you have to file a report with the circuit court that says that you did it, and this is a specific form. It's required under or specific report is required under Virginia Code nineteen point two seventy point three subsection e, and it says yes, it, you are allowed to get real time location data without a warrant to respond to somebody's nine one one call, to uh, to you know if, if somebody asks you to with their consent or the consent of their next of kin or guardian if they're missing. Or if you reasonably believe there's an emergency involving a danger to a person that requires the disclosure of that data. But after you do that, you have 72 hours to go to the circuit court and file a file some kind of statement, some kind of form that explains who you were and what the police department was and what the phone number or the device was that you were trying to track and why you did it and basically, here's what the um, here's a basic statement of the facts of the situation that caused us to use this exception. So the question you might be asking is, oh, well, what happens if you don't do that form, right? Well, nothing happens to the evidence. The code section right now doesn't say anything happens to the evidence. And there's no punishment for you for not filing the form. But I don't want you to leave this podcast and think there's no consequences for you not filing this form. I mentioned before... There's this thing called the administrative subpoenas, and the ICACs use them all the time. The General Assembly also is very skeptical of law enforcement getting its own subpoenas without a judge looking at them. And the General Assembly before has said, had tried to say, you know, how many times is this used? Is there any kind of data about how this is used, why it's used, and is it being tracked? And the answer was, no, we don't really keep track of it. And the General Assembly's response to that was, well, if you're not keeping track of it, we don't trust you, and we're going to take it away. So fortunately, instead, what they said was, all right, we're going to start keeping track of it. We're going to require you to keep track of it. We want to have annual reports and so on, but we want to know about uh, when this is getting used. But think about the day and age we are right now. If the General Assembly comes to your agency and they say, how many times was this used last year? And your answer is, well, I don't know. Is that going to be satisfactory? If they come in and they ask Verizon, how many times was it used in your jurisdiction last year? And you say, well, in the county of Springfield last year, it was used 100 times. And so they ask you to say, well, tell me what the 100 cases were and why it was used. And your answer is, well, I don't really know. I mean, I don't know what those cases were. I don't have that information. I don't have why. Are they going to say, oh, well, I'm sure it was fine. I'm sure we can trust you. And are they going to walk away? Or are they going to assume that you were using it for nefarious purposes and try to take away the ability to do this? As I said, the ability, you know, the the statutory system that's in place is not a result of constitutional law, it's a result of the General Assembly setting rules. And the General Assembly gives you powers, the General Assembly can take away powers. And with great power comes great responsibility the ability to use this emergency exception is granted by virginia code 19.270.3e and if you're not taking care of it if you're not using this power wisely and you're not following the structures by filing this form and uh, sending the form into your clerk's office you're endangering this for everyone and the general assembly could very easily step in and say there's no emergency exception anymore we're taking it away And if they did that, I think it would be very bad for law enforcement and people would be hurt and people would potentially be killed. And that may include law enforcement officers. I mean, domestic violence, people who commit domestic violence are the vast majority of the people who kill law enforcement officers ultimately. So this endangers you as much as anyone else. So be smart. Be a good citizen. Uh, find out with your counsel attorney's office what the form is or get a copy of the form or make your own form. It doesn't have to be anything specific. The, the Supreme Court doesn't have a special form. Just take the form, go down to the clerk's office and file it. If the clerk's office doesn't know what to do with it, you gave it to them, you did what you're supposed to do, um, You know they can figure it out. Um, you might be the first person to file one, but you got to make sure that you start doing that. So that's all I'm going to talk about today. We're going to come back and talk about pen registers and Trap and Trace next time. And we're going to talk about stingrays, and we're going to talk about um, getting present and future content and so on. Um, but that's going to be all for a future episode. So I hope this was useful today. Um, if you like the podcast, tell your friends. If you don't like your podcast, the podcast, don't tell your friends. Uh, but That's all from me. That's all from Biggie. Stay safe out there, and don't get captured.